It's FAQ NYC Off Cycle, where the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city, steps back to take different and deeper looks into some of the things that are always happening here in the only place in the world. I'm Harry Siegel, and the music you're hearing is by today's host, jazz trumpeter Greg Glassman, who's talking with tenor saxophonist Stacy Dillard about making it financially and artistically, not always in that order, as a musician in this city. Let's jump right in. Thanks, Harry. Stacy, what's up? Man, you know me. Same old thing. <laughs> Chilling out. Uh, so Stacy is a saxophonist and human being extraordinaire. <laughs> and uh, uh, we're going to talk about our lives as musicians in New York. And uh, then we're going to improvise on our instruments a little bit. So you are pretty much universally loved in our corner of the world, respected. Feel that way. You're good. You're a good spokesperson, I would say. <laughs> and um, how many years have you been here now? This is year 21, man. 21. This is year, yep, this is year 21. You know, because uh, <laughs> uh, they say that it takes 21 years to be called a New Yorker, so congratulations. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, exactly I 21. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. I didn't know it was that, uh, I it's, thought it was shorter than that. It's 21. Dang. People have it's, been lying. It's shorter than that. No, it's shorter than that. Oh, you've been, you're messing with me. I was me. just trying to be funny. Oh, well, you got me. Um, so, yeah, so we played... I don't know, hundreds of gigs together. Uh yeah, that's safe. Yeah. Between hundreds. we were we were counting MMs in the in the jug before this. It's about probably right about that number of gigs. I would say two hundred, between two and three hundred. Mm, you gotta think about like, how many times a well, how many gigs a year do we actually do? I don't know, but Times. all I know is that I'm pretty sure the person living who has played the most gigs in the whole world, besides maybe like religious musicians, is Ernie Ellie, drummer in his 90s in New Orleans, uh, because he started playing when he was like about 12 or 13. <sighs> he never left New Orleans, and they play they like play. four or five gigs a day down there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. He got mileage. Yeah. Serious. But we have some time to catch up. Uh, I probably won't. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I'm not gonna but try. I'll catch. I'll, I'll try. Okay. In my own way. <laughs> um. So the gigs thing is interesting because in New York it can feel pretty hard to end up doing what we do. And I feel like you and I, we have like like a 80th or 90th percentile career outcome for what's possible for us, right? Like we're doing very well, in a, in, you know? Yeah. Like we, some people know who we are. We get to play music that we love on a semi-regular basis, sometimes a regular basis. Um, but the fact is that in New York, like uh, being very successful in what we do, it doesn't make it easy. Uh, there's still no security or predictability. Um, we might go on the road and then lose a bunch of opportunities that might have happened. You can't plan. So how do you 
But you, you know, you strike me as like, you generally have a pretty level head about all this stuff. How do you, uh, how do you end up that way? How do you make sense of the puzzle? Just really just plain and simple, just accepting it for exactly what it is. And on top of that, just being real keen about people, uh, relationships, you know, people, communication, people, you know, just because that's at the end of the day, you you always working with people, and just 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 being fair. It's like I I, I treat a millionaire and, and a bum on the street. I I treat them the same way, yeah. you know. So it's like starting right there. That helps because, and then that way, you also got to be willing to. You know, go out of your comfort zone because a lot of people have problems that they have problems because they stay in this comfort zone. It's like this vein of music, this 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 particular avenue of jazz. I'm staying here as opposed to all of it, and then other even genres of music. You know, that way you always around, right? And then yeah, so you, you get. You get you get more calls instead of not getting the one call that you've been wanting, mm-hmm. and that can like like going into a room expecting to see blue walls, but but you can't appreciate it's it's it's, it's different walls every other color than blue, but you just appreciate the beauty of the other ones because they're still nice, you know. Yeah, it seems it seems to me that what you're describing though is sort of like an organic uh, consequence of your approach to the world, right? It doesn't sound to me like a career strategy. It sounds to me like this is sort of how you go through the world. But that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Maybe that's why it feels sustainable. It's, it's the Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the foundation. And, and then on top of that, this kind of music that we play, it's not too many, it's not too many occupations out there that require you to know you to, which will make a difference in your performance. It's strange. That, I mean, I always feel like I can tell musicians who have worked a gig before, you know, as opposed to people who found the right PR person out of going to jazz college or something, you know. Uh, but but um, we know the greatest music we are a part of generally happens in the middle of the night somewhere small, right? <laughs> and what a successful career looks like can be like, oh, you get paid a little bit more money to fly across the world to play for 45 minutes at a festival where there's, are we allowed to curse? Shitty sound. Ooh. Uh, right? And and that's, and so <sighs> we're supposed to think that that is success, but we know that success sort of happens on a nightly basis, the kind of music we do, it really benefits from playing all the time. And I, I think maybe the, especially the non-musician audience, doesn't quite understand how out of whack, you know, mm-hmm. the, the money, the, the cost of living versus what people like uh, who do what we do generally get right. paid. So Great how do you make that work? <laughs> You know, what is enough for you? 
you know, because it's because that it's a, it's a lot of people <clears throat> who requires this much, who requires that much. Like me, I'm I'm pretty low maintenance, bro. To be yeah. to be honest, it's like I don't I really don't need much for myself. Yeah, I really don't. So, you know, the rest I use to to be here. <laughs> uh, you know, take care of things, you know, family things and whatever. Horn maintenance. Yeah, saxophones are expensive. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that, and and I just budget it out that way, you know. It's like, I don't need to show up in a stretch limo Porsche, you know. I'm fine with taking the train. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do think it's a, it's a powerful philosophy about life to aspire to being like lower middle class uh, because uh, I like I do think that's actually where the luxury comes from, right? When you're stuck <laughs> when you're stuck out in the middle of Queens somewhere and you need to get home and uh, you can take a cab, right? Like that's a big lifestyle change, right? Um, like when you can go into the bar where they have, you know, fifteen twenty dollar cocktails, and not be so worried that you're not even going to walk in or whatever. Right. Like that's I I tend to think those are where the those are the meaningful luxuries. But having a little bit of security, right? That mm-hmm. that that is a huge life change. Like I can't imagine too many things that a lot more money would change for me, just like you. But it does seem out of whack a little bit. Like New York is a place that. You know, like music and art and jazz music in particular is sort of like a lifeblood of the city. It's a reputation of the city. People come here for that reason. Musicians come here mm-hmm. for that reason. Uh, m- music and art lovers come here for that reason. And it does strike me as a little crazy that we're all expected to just like piece it together. I, I think there is a sort of weird expectation that we do what we love. And because it's something that people think of as fun or somehow extra, that people don't really uh, put two and two together, say, oh, these people dedicate their lives to an instrument. They also have to sometimes go go to to the hospital. (laughs) They have to sometimes have have a place to to live, you know, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. If I may ask, can can you say just a bit about coming to New York in the first place, mm-hmm. uh, developing as a young musician, realizing this is what you want to do professionally, like to eat and to pay rent, even if you don't need much, and what it took in terms of like practice and work and networking and whatever else to get from like knowing that to like having things add up and like being comfortable that you were far enough along they would keep adding up. Well, I knew I wanted to do this way before I was able to. So I just knew I had this, what I had to spend my time on with the instrument. That was first thing. But I knew I wanted to do this, you know. And, and it, What age are you talking about? Uh, like high school and then throughout college. And then like right before moving here, you know, I needed something to... To, to give me a little a little confidence boost. And that's when I ran into like Myron Walden and Wenton and the 
Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra, all these guys in Dayton, Ohio, because I went to school in Ohio. And, uh, you know, it was my first, like, real contact with some New York cats, you know. And I ended up sitting in, everybody ended up playing. And that was the the boost to say, okay, now the next step is New York, because they saying I can cut it. You know, now, now I'm starting to see it. Now I'm starting to believe it. So... No joke. Uh, two weeks after that, I was here. And correct me if I'm wrong. You you came without much of a plan, right? Never visited here. <laughs> <laughs> Just came, and uh, I've been grinding ever since. <laughs> tend to think that the time that we have been doing our thing in New York, I, I'd sort of like to think that um, we weathered sort of the, the lowest time in terms of respect and acknowledgement for what we do. Like I sort of think what we do is significantly cooler in the culture now mm. than 10 and 15 and 20 years ago. I think it was more a thing of like, well, that's cool, but you should get a real job. <laughs> and and I think the pandemic changed this too. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. I know that coming out of the pandemic, those first few shows with people in the room mm-hmm. were very special. Yeah. And I, I actually sort of feel like a lot of people need a communal coming out of that that they're never going to get we got we get that we get to have that experience more than most people and i i felt a a different and special vibe uh coming out of the pandemic oh big time i mean even playing in a park you know and people everything because i always that's why i like fat cat so much because it felt like playing in a park so fat fat cat uh (laughs) on Christopher Street, seventy-five in the, in Christopher the Street. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's this really big basement level. Uh, you got billiards. You got you got ping pong. You got shuffleboard. You got foosball. You got chess. You got the beer and wine and the the soju. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And then liquor you got, license. Another another uh, you know pertinent New York topic. Right. Right. And then you got the space. Where the where the band plays, it's, it's no it's no elevation of the space. It's just all ground level, just like everything else. So, and then it's like a bunch of wooden church pews in front for people to sit down and listen to, if they if they wanted to. But all around you, the ruckus is going on. But you know, it was always fun playing in there because sometimes the music will be so good, every everybody's you know everybody's in alignment with each other. That's what that's what it is. Yeah, it's. it's it's the camaraderie of it all. And that, you know, everybody figuratively or metaphorically link arms, you know what I mean? And everybody start playing. And next thing you know, everybody that's way at the end of the, at the room playing pool and you see them sitting on the pool table. Checking out. Clapping and snapping their fingers and, you know. So I like to be able to do that, you know. But sometimes it ain't like that. So it's, it's, it's rainy days and it's sunny days. Yeah, but that was Fat Cat for you. I think, yeah, one of my favorite parts of of that scene 
was just that it was young, a lot of young people who mm-hmm. would otherwise not be exposed to that kind of music. And, you know, we would have people come up all the time saying, you know, like, oh, man, you know, we thought jazz sucked, but that was awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've heard that a lot. I so like, I like a, hearing that. Yeah, it's nice to, you know, the times when you feel like you are participating in the larger New York community, mm-hmm. it feels really good. I, I find there's a lot of barriers to having that experience. It's it's hard to uh, it's hard to make it happen, but uh, I I do think that people want some church substitute, right? They want to be in small communities uh, where there is accountability. <laughs> a musician in New York, we are out late. Um, I, I like to say, you know, if, if you're, you are routinely out at three to five in the morning in the village, uh, there's nothing much that is any longer shocking. <laughs> uh, you know, I can I can barely count on one hand the number of people I've seen defecating on the street. Oh. Anyway, I wondered uh, what you have to say, good and bad, about late, late night New York <laughs> the bad part is exactly what you're saying <laughs> you know things like that uh you know and now that you now that you're putting it in perspective like this it's like wow we do this but it's that music man it's it's that music that that because if it wasn't the music I wouldn't even I wouldn't be out there just the other day on the train. No, I'm nasty story. Anyway. Oh, it's okay. Okay, fine. Here it is. <laughs> so so the train has stopped, right? And I'm I'm sitting there and I I'm looking over my right shoulder, leaning forward a little bit, but I see all these belongings just sitting outside, like a purse, a shopping bag, a jacket, uh, a scarf, you know, all this stuff just scattered out. And then I hear a voice saying, yo, hold the train, hold the train. But this is like outside the train, but directly behind me. And so I'm looking, and you hear the sound of running water. And it, I, I look down. I'm thinking it's somebody pouring a beer out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then next thing you know, this lady comes running. She got on a shirt. She ain't got her, her pants down to her ankles, panties down to her ankles. So yeah, she she took care of business, and then she's like trying to grab her stuff and put it all in the train, and this, that, and the other. And all I could think is, dang, I'm just like, I wish we could hurry up and go. Instead of being like, <gasps> you, you know, yeah. how I didn't feel that is what's crazy about being here so long. So yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> yeah. But that was crazy. Um, just, uh, before we get to the playing, um, 
Just a couple, you know, uh, rapid fire questions. So, uh, where, where's a a go to late night food spot for you? Ooh, I like Coppelia on Fourteenth and Seventh. Uh, you know, some of the some of the twenty four hour diners are still open, like Neptune Two in Brooklyn. Uh, for late night, late night, because I, I had a bunch of them, man, but. You know, COVID kind of jacked things up. Mm-hmm. Peppers. Peppers jerk chicken. Oh, yeah. Oh, Flatbush. Yeah, oh. that's really good. Like Flatbush and, uh, what's that? Flatbush and uh, uh, Woodruff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how long have you had health insurance or do you have health insurance? I don't. Yeah. I did. And then they said I made too much money, so I lost it. Okay. Uh any feelings one way or the other about that? Uh, I would like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know. See, this, this is sort of what I was trying to get at earlier, right? Like, <laughs> you're, like, you know, like, people go to jazz college. They might hear about Stacy Diller. They saw a Stacy Diller gig. They said, this is the greatest jazz band I've ever seen in my life. That's what I want to do. And meanwhile, many of these people don't always know where they're going to live, and they don't have health insurance, right? That's crazy, right? I just want to <laughs> just leave yeah. it there. I think that's very crazy that people come to New York to eat this up, yet you, you can't go to the doctor. Like, that, that's really nuts. Um, what's uh, uh, one of your favorite neighborhoods and least favorite neighborhoods? Favorite neighborhoods? I've always, like... Lower East Side. I was like, like since I got here, I, I I clung to that and I still like it. So I mean, shout out to Brooklyn, of course. Any neighborhoods you dislike? <laughs> I lived on the Upper East Side for for a little bit. I lived on a. This is funny. I was homeless for like three months, living out of a storage locker, <laughs> on like. 28th and 12th Ave, because they had 24-hour storage access. So I was like, I'll be fine, stack up some money, give me another place, I'll be all right. So the next place was, (laughs) I ended up living on 73rd between 1st and 2nd. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on up as they say. Right, right. But part I hate is that every damn morning I come downstairs, it's a dry cleaner's bottom of our building, right? Old couple sitting outside, you know. So I'm thinking, like, you know, by month four or five, you know, me saying, hello, good morning. Hey, you know, you know, not a once in my, what I stayed there for, like, two years, not once. You know, every time I was like, hey, sir, how you doing? Hey, man, how you doing? Good day. Good morning. Good day. They just look at me like this. Mm-hmm. And they speak English. <laughs> so don't give me that, you know. <laughs> You're too nice for them. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it was a lot of that up there. Yeah. But it's a little different now. Like, like when you go up there now, it's not as... Ugh. Stuffy. Yeah. It's it's a lot easier now. So I don't know. But at the time, did not like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I tend to think uh, people, uh, people lo- love their anonymity in New York, but they still, in general, they like it when you get smiled at. Um, I would like to think that. So uh, we're going to go now from 
improvising our words, which is, I believe, called a conversation, uh, we're going to uh, move to improvising some on our instruments. Uh, what do you say? Uh, let's just go for it. Ah, uh, man, you know me. Make sure I don't knock nothing over.
for a minute. <laughs> you got to close your eyes when you're in an office. That's what happened, huh? Yeah. I, I sure did. I was, well, Stacy, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being my uh, partner in We didn't talk about this at all, but we tend to read each other's minds. Oh, man. When we're on the bandstand. But. And then, so if you ever see us play together and we're playing, we're playing, we're playing, we're playing, and then all of a sudden we stop and look at each other and bust out laughing, it, that's what happened. <laughs> it always it it always happens once twice a gig, every gig. Yeah. Anyway, thank every you for making gig. the time, man. Thanks to for be with us. Me. Thanks for having me. And uh, look forward to the next one. I look forward as well, my man. This has been FAQ NYC. We're a part of the city. A nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc/slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research and are a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com. Our executive producer is Harry Siegel, who sat in on this episode with host Greg Glassman. And I'm our engineer, Adam Kimera. Thank you to our guest, saxophonist Stacy Dillard. And thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more. Stacey, uh, 
Do you remember when we went to Siberia and I Moscow? Could, I not. Oh, man. I remember everything about that trip. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you were saying that might have been the last time. time before today that we free improvised. Just me and you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. It, it was a hell of a trip getting there, y'all. Because it was this... It was a Siberia tour, but the the gig we did this at actually took place in Moscow. Yeah, so we took a forty six hour train ride <laughs> from somewhere in Siberia to Moscow to see uh, friends of mine, Great. and then we were special guests at this uh, nightclub in, oh. on an impromptu uh, basis. Right, and we played just the two of us, and then with a conga player, right. Oh yeah, I thought wow, yeah, that's right, that's yeah. right, that's right. And it that's ended. Right. I, I'm I'm not the type to brag about drinking escapades. Maybe well, that's complicated. We but. held it down that day. It was about forty shots of vodka between four p.m. and getting on the plane the next day, and mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. between. Remember, we went downstairs, and there was a restaurant. We went to Red Square first. But before that, we went to that restaurant that was attached to the building. I had some uh, some cognac there. Okay. This was like noon. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then we walked for a little bit. We got our feet got cold. Then we went to the spot and had the pickles in the in the hundreds. Yeah. You know three. So we started before four, bro. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Forgive me if my memory is a little <laughs> bit fuzzy. This is how many years ago now? Something like fifteen. Years? Uh, something like that. And um, and all I know is that for the first and only time in my life, um, my host had to pack my bag for me and wake me up, and put me in a cab. And the fact that we got on the plane, I was packed your bag. <laughs> I'm just learning this right now. And I was like, Greg, you can't lay down. You can't lay down. <laughs> <laughs> and he went and laid down. I was like, damn it, Greg, you can't lay down. <laughs> and and then I remember putting your stuff. Away as best as I knew as, as I could. The, really, the only thing I remember is that I couldn't believe we got on the plane. I fell instantly asleep, and I woke up and looked out the window, and we were over the North Pole. And then I fell back asleep, and I woke up, and we were in New York. Mind you, we land. I'm ass tired, right? You, I'm going to Harlem. You're going to Brooklyn. I get in the cab, go home. I'm getting in the elevator. As as the elevator's going up to the fifth floor, I can hear more and more people's voices. So I go in the house, and it's a party. It's Super Bowl Sunday when we get back. <laughs> so it's a party at my house. <laughs> and I'm super tired, man. And I go in there, and my, my room is the coat room. So, like, there's all these coats on the bed. I just drop my bags. This is after getting back, bro. It, yeah. just, it just didn't stop for me. So I went and sat on the chair. I told this dude to get out of my chair. And I told him, you better get the fuck out of my chair. I really did say that because at that point I was like, I don't know you. Just move. I need to. I, coat's on my bed. I'm sitting here. Halftime of the football game, I fell asleep. And I woke up at 11.30 a.m. The next day, boots, coat on, everything. <laughs> Rough trip. But it was fun, though. All right, I'm done. <laughs>